0: Somewhere between waking and sleeping, on our journey towards the unfathomable deep, there comes a thin moment, where we have one foot in the waking world, and the other is in that other world, where we relinquish conscious control. Pausing here, and straddled between two planets that drive one another like gears, the attentive traveller will notice a narrow door, only wide enough to sidle through, This is the border of sleep, where imagination and reality are braided together, a chasm in the crust of consciousness, venting the hot pumice of imagery into the irresistible magma of narrative. Welcome to episode 46 of Stories from the Borders of Sleep, a fortnightly podcast of curious tales from bordersofsleep.com, featuring original stories by your host Seymour Jacklin. You can visit bordersofsleep.com for more information, to leave feedback, or you can even buy me a coffee. You can find us on Facebook as well, where it would be lovely to meet you. I love hearing from listeners, so don't be shy. However, you might get in touch by email, via Facebook or Twitter, or through reviews and comments, and I will always try to respond. The lovely cello soundtrack for this week's episode is by Hans Christian from the album, Undefended Heart, which is available from magnitude.com So, if you are ready to journey with me, then I shall begin. Sketching and Painting by Seymour Jacqueline. Anna was twenty years and four hundred miles away from her body, standing on a clifftop she saw the scenery all broken into triangles scattered on the wind and happening to fall together in peaks and troughs of light and dark blue suggesting a choppy ocean and the little yachts like cut paper and the great tall ships all triangles the sea and the ships were all collaged from the same simple shapes a cool draught caressed her neck and she came back to her studio with a shiver morning's glow was at the window Was it really dawn again? She'd been working all night. Anna felt like a hundred spider's webs had been woven over her body, and her feet ached from standing in front of the canvas. The sky was there, she'd started with that, but as soon as she began to work on the foreground she knew that it was too bright and open, for the scene in her mind was more enclosed, burrowish, encircling. She'd outlined the main character in the piece, an oak tree. She could feel the force of its presence coming through, but her brushes kept balking at the task of fixing it to the canvas. Something was not quite right, and the raw wildness she felt was eluding her skill. That tree would have to draw the looker in with its gravity and mass needed to glow without any trick of the light that she knew how to paint. She needed to step away for a bit. She felt dozy as she washed her brushes, but it was growing lighter by the minute. Another day. She decided to go out for a walk rather than throw herself into bed and oblivious sleep. She pulled on her boots and draped her long woolen cardigan over her shoulders. It's thick, roped earthen red weave would be enough to keep her snug on her walk. The gate at the bottom of her garden led to a ploughed field where there had been barley all summer. The spikes of stubble were loosely churned back into the soil, which clung in huge brown clods and smelt of marsh and earthworms. A layer of mist spread over the field at ankle height. Anna walked with her arms folded and kept her eyes down on the uneven ground as she skirted the field. When she got to the woodland, the mist thickened among the trees, washing out the lines of the tree trunks. The edge was lined with birch and hazel, giving way to majestic beeches deeper in. Anna saw their bark in thick oil paint, stippled and then raked with lines. Above her the canopy was turning to autumn, Always tiny movements up there, a single falling leaf tumbling through the branches and then another. But it only threw the otherwise stillness into relief. There wasn't really a path. She had permission from the landowner to roam freely, and humans hardly ever came this way. She made her way deeper in among the trees, taking a few steps and then pausing each time to look and listen until the edge of the field was shrouded behind her. And for all she could see, the woods might stretch in every direction, forever. There was nothing but now, and here, and the unhurried silence. A slight incline led up to an old stand of oak trees, where the canopy was closer. A more intimate architecture. She studied the oaks. Her oak was like these, but thicker in girth and darkened with age. She noticed something moving against a trunk, a wraith of mist that seemed to have detached itself and elongated upwards. It was odd, because there wasn't a breath of wind. When she focused on it, she saw a play of colours in there, and darker, downward streaks that faded in and out. Anna blinked twice, very deliberately, screwing her eyes tight shut, and then looked again. It was still there. Its shape suggested a thin figure, a little taller than her, standing by the tree. It looked like it was made up of loose lines, like strands of hair, making a discernible outline that was constantly rearranging itself as the thing moved. She thought of a marionette, because of the lines, and then an insect, because it was hard to tell how many limbs it might have. Within the lines was a transparent cloud, Of pastel colours that also shifted and billowed on itself, staying more or less inside the lines but diffusing a little into the surrounding air. As if this wasn't remarkable enough, the creature also seemed to be wearing a blue glove on the end of one limb. Unlike the rest of the body, this seemed quite solid as the tree it was standing by, solid and inflexible. Then it spoke, If you've ever listened to the sound a pencil makes as it scribbles and scratches on paper, and noticed how it comes fast and slow, rises and falls like the sound of speaking, that's how its voice sounded. In fact, all the noises she made on the pages of her sketchbook were there, the hiss of a long charcoal line, rapid stabs of hatching, the whisper of crayon. It was her language. "'It's all right, I'm really here,' the voice said. "'All this is happening.' Who are you? Anna asked. I'm just a sketch, just loose and free and not quite here yet. It made sense. The ill-defined clusters of lines that showed the thing were shifting and indistinct. What happened to your hand? Anna asked. Oh, that's been coloured in, the sketch explained. It held its hand up, admiring it. It looks good. I like it. But it's not a great deal of use to me. My artist started to colour me in, but I gather what colour I can from the feelings I encounter, then they keep leaking out of me, not that I mind. I'm not fixed, and I like being a bit loose-lined. It keeps my options open. Oh, I understand that, said Anna. She was resisting the urge to rearrange a few of the lines. So you're a sketch? Yes, just call me Cricket, for now. Oh, I'm Anna. I know, said Cricket, and sketched, something like a grin. If you have time, I'd like to introduce you to a few friends, and we could perhaps use some help. I do, said Anna. Bed could wait. Her painting could wait. This was far too interesting, even if it was just another dream. Then please do follow me, said Cricket, moving with his lines like so many spiders' legs off into the trees beyond. His colours deepened, so he seemed more there for a few moments before they faded again as he moved. The oaks were later turning this year, and many still had a full head of tattered green. The woods were thick, but Cricket and Anna followed an imperceptible path roughly in a straight line. Anna abstracted impressions from the woodscape as she moved through it. The low mist had cleared, but the air was cool with moisture she felt on her cheeks seemed almost grainy, with tiny droplets. Watered autumn tones leaked from the etched outlines of leaves. Birches, where she couldn't tell where green ended and yellow began. beeches with their glowing browns and muddy golds. As they went on, she noticed the colours losing their definition. It seemed to be becoming paler, not darker, as they went further except the skeleton outlines of the trees stayed like cracks in the air. Cricket stopped moving and waited for her to catch up. He was easy to see against the trees beyond that seemed to be made from the same bunches of hair-like lines that composited his body. They seemed to be immersed in an unfinished drawing of the woodland, but for the ground under their feet, which was the same bronze and brown, ahead was just lines and stamped shapes, and outlines with the slightest suggestion of colour, faint and unattached to any forms. This is the unfinished part of the woods. We'll go and see the artists at work, he said. The stillness there had been was replaced with a shimmering effect of lines. Although they stayed in one place, unlike cricket, the outlines of the trees were continuously modulating in tiny ways. She saw the artists from a good hundred yards away, elongated figures wearing brightly coloured clothes, weaving around each other busily. As Cricket and Anna came up to them, they stopped and stepped away, so she suddenly found they were in the middle of a circle of the strangest beings she could ever imagine. The first thing she noticed was that the colour of their clothing came from smears and drops and spatterings of pigment, so they looked like well-used palettes draped in paint-spattered aprons. They stood a couple of feet taller than Anna. Their arms were long and hung down well below what might have been their waist area, terminating in long-fingered hands. But it was their faces that transfixed her as soon as she noticed them. They were old, so very old and deeply wrinkled with lively, deep-set eyes. Their skin seemed weathered and leathery where it could be seen under the smudges of colour. Anna thought for a moment they looked more like solidified versions of cricket than stretched versions of humans. Some were squatting on the ground and had been raking their hands through pools of what looked like coloured mud, yellow, bronze, green, russet, brown and orange, and some pools of brighter primary colours, a striking plum, puce, magenta and a luminous blue like a tropical pool. She could see straight away what they had been working on, They had been filling in the lines of a cluster of pine trees with huge smears and working them down to finer detail with their fingers. "'Meet the artists,' said Cricket, stepping back into the circle so that Anna found herself alone in the middle. One of the artists stepped towards her and took his little red cap off in a salute. "'I'm honoured to meet you, Anna,' he said. "'I'm a great admirer of your work.' It spoke in a voice she felt within her, and recognised as the same way her canvases often seemed to speak to her. Words falling through her mind like thick swirls of paint that tailed off at the brush's tip. Oh, said Anna, I'm sorry, I don't know who you are, but if you're the ones who painted this whole forest, then... Her words trailed off. I am Vincent, he said. His voice fell on her ears like a sort of morse code of the sounds of a palette knife rasping and a paintbrush, swishing. If cricket is a sketch, does that make you the sketchers? she asked. No, said Vincent. We like to call ourselves the coloroserni, he said with a little Italian flourish. If you can imagine that as spoken in art sounds, coloroserni, tap, 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 swish. Vincent continued, gesturing to the others. Bertha and Frida are mixing the colours, and the rest of us are painting. We work all year round, but this is my favourite time of year, don't you agree? I love it, said Anna, turning her head to make sure she took in all the workers surrounding her. Cricket kindly brought you here because we need your help. I'm hoping you can finish a little bit for us. I'm quite sure you're the only one who can do it. The circle parted as Vincent led her a few steps until they were standing in front of an outline just too familiar to Anna. It was her oak tree, the one in her mind and partially on the canvas in her studio, but most of all, in her mind, with its intense gravity in its trunk and broad shoulders and the taut musculature in its branches. Anna felt the charge in the air she often sensed between her stomach and the canvases she worked on as she tried to brush her vision into being. "'I don't know. I can try,' she said. "'Yes, this is a big one,' Vincent nodded. "'But I know you're up to it. Have a go. "'You know that starting every time is like learning to walk again.' "'Yes,' Anna laughed." You should have all the colours you need. If you have to mix any more, please go easy on the cyan, because we have to make that from the shells of robin's eggs, which are very hard to come by." Anna gazed at the lines in front of her, and reached a fingertip into a swirl of green-grey, then poked it into the streaked sketch lines of the oak's bark. It stayed as a smudge there, her first stroke. She wished for a brush. A whole roll of brushes. Vincent spoke again as if he'd read her mind. We find it best to use your whole body, he said. He demonstrated. He knelt and slapped his right forearm into the same puddle of pigment, then wiped it on another sketch tree with a wide chopping motion. Then he turned his back to it and rubbed his shoulders downwards as if he were scratching his back on the trunk. Ooh, that feels good, he laughed. It looked good. The relief of the trunk had sprung into its fullness. Anna had often wanted to fling herself right into her canvases, so she was ready to try. She began to work, being drawn in and finding an easy rhythm. The medium was novel, but her body seemed to know all the moves. It was like a dance of stepping out and stepping in again, turning, reaching. The pigments soaked into her clothing. She discovered sapphire blue in the bark and red in the branches, verdigris in the stalks, ochre in the leaves. Time may have passed, several hours, perhaps maybe even days. She didn't hesitate as long as the work possessed her, and there was no knowing whether time went fast or slow, for in herself she became both day and night. At last she stepped back from the tree and it was done, and done well. She had fixed the dark and light and every line and hue to capture the brooding benevolence of the oak tree that she'd imagined. It was several moments before she noticed the other cholera had stopped too and were looking at the tree. It's perfect, Vincent whispered. He walked in front of Anna from right, to left, looking at her work from each angle, then stepped close to it and put out a hand to caress the bark. You've done us proud, he said. Anna was exhausted, but her insides were singing. She was covered in pigment like the rest of them, but she felt clear and rinsed and scrubbed, seeing everything so sharply for the first time in a long time. Vincent was thanking her. You're welcome, said Anna breathlessly. I think I just learnt more than five years in art college taught me. I think it was always in you, said Vincent. You're a natural. The other cholera Seni seemed to be laughing and cheering. Cricket will show you the way home as I'm sure you need to rest, said Vincent. Anna looked around the watching crowd. Yes, but I've had a wonderful time and I'm glad I met you all, she said. ''I hope we might call on you again if we need something a little special,'' said Vincent. ''I would love that,'' Anna laughed. Some tiredness was beginning to creep back into her limbs and she thought of bed, perhaps after a bath. After she'd said goodbye to the Kalaraseni, Cricket led her back to the edge of the woodland close to where they had first met. It was now dusk, and the woodland's long shadow spilt over the field. She made her way towards the scribbled fence line at the back of her house. She could see her studio, a lower roof jutting from the east side of the house, scraped out in long yellow light. The rest of the house was under shadow already. Although she wanted very much to wash and then slip into cool sheets and sleep, she couldn't resist taking a quick peek at her work in progress so in the back entrance way, she turned right towards her studio rather than left towards the kitchen. The last light of day came in soft and low through the window and fell on her canvas, and there, glowering in the dusk, was the oak, painted, completed, with every detail perfect.